You're listening to Pride Month on the Voice of Dog. This is Rob McWolf, your fellow traveler, and today's story is the first of two parts of Vagabond by Tiberius Rings and Fruits, who have co-written their Victorian age thriller Come to Dust and are currently publishing the sequel Burn Down the Tower, each chapter illustrated by Fruits. A third book is currently being written to end the trilogy of Simon King. During Pride, it is vital we keep two things in mind. Our variety of identities, for there are as many ways to be queer as there are queer people, and the history that says we have always been here. And so we present the story about remembering a history, of a man discovering that variety and his place within it for himself. Please enjoy Vagabond by Tiberius Rings and Fruits, part one of two. When my arthritis is a real bitch, I often sit on my battered couch, carefully tucking my bushy ring tail underneath. For hours I think about the life I've led, the places I've visited, and the people I've met. You do that when you get to be my age. The world seems to be speeding up more and more, and you're doing your best to keep up. Only to realize the world isn't for you anymore, it's for the young folks. For men like me, all we can do is watch the seeds we planted grow and nurture those who are willing to listen to our stories. Yes, stories are why I'm writing this. A young friend of mine suggested that I write them down. He listened to the rambling of this old raccoon whenever he came over to help with a car or groceries. He told me they were too good to just leave us spoken words. So here I am, ninety years young, and typing away at a computer, going down my long-gone memory lanes. I have a few regrets in my life. I've lived a good, long one. And this is a story about how I found myself in a world that didn't quite know what to do with me. History says that people's attitudes toward gay men began to shift in the 21st century. For the most part, that is true. Laws were being passed left and right to ensure equal protection and tolerance, and Seeing gay people on TV shows was becoming more and more normal. Hell, everyone had gay friends. I think that's what helped push the gay rights movement forward as much as it did. It's hard to hate somebody you know intimately. That isn't to say that everything was great during those years. Far from it. Even as the laws changed, bigotry, hatred, and fear were still running through the veins of our country. There were counter-movements everywhere, all under the argument that society had moved too fast. Hate crimes still happened. People could still be awful. A smart boy would have kept it to himself that he fancied his own gender. I was not so bright back then. My name is Beaumont Beau June. My story as a vagabond, as I like to refer to myself at that stage in life, began when I was 18 years of age. I was a spring chicken who just freshly graduated from a small high school in an equally small town called Cooper in the West Virginian Hills. People there are a different kind of folks. Time seemed to move differently in Cooper. It had definitely sheltered my country boy butt. But this isn't a story about me growing up in Cooper. The only reason I start here is because up to this point, my hometown had been the only thing I'd ever known. 
an innocent and glass half full kind of guy that I was, I believed that people would accept me if I started letting out my dirty secret. It turns out I was quite wrong. And don't get me wrong, though, people there, the ones I told my secret to at least, were never cruel to me. But they treated me differently those last few weeks of high school. People were a bit quieter around me, asking me all sorts of questions about what it meant to be gay. Gosh, I had no idea at the time. Thankfully, my small group of friends kept it to themselves until I left. I don't know what I would have done if Pod found out back then. We never quite got along, but he was one of the best miners you could ever find in the hills. We raccoons take pride in our wonderful night vision, and Pa used that to his advantage, always leading the way for new lines of coal. He even talked about having me get a job there. I balked at the thought that wasn't what I wanted. Though young and inexperienced, I still had the sense to feel that Cooper was no longer as welcome to me and that Pa would never understand. So I packed up the few things I owned into my old baby blue pickup truck one morning for anyone else is awake, and left. I left a note to Pa, telling him I loved him, that I would call him when I got a chance. I remember the moment I left my town. 4.35 a.m. in July. That is how this story begins. That is how I became a vagabond. Looking back on my choices in those early months, I was a dummy for trusting the internet as much as I did. I could have ended up dead, or worse. But back then, that was my only support group for being gay. I knew that if I wanted to understand myself, I needed to understand what it meant to be gay. I talked to my friends I made online, and one of them, a guy by the name of Nick, invited me to come stay a while at his place in Boston. I had never seen the ocean until I arrived in Boston, I was like a kid in a candy store when I parked my truck that late summer afternoon in an old brownstone building. My ringtail was tired, and extra messy after hours being jammed between my butt and the car seat. So I flicked it to get the blood moving. I was told to come to this address by 3 p.m. The clock on my truck now displayed 3.20 p.m. Bo, a voice said from outside the truck. I turned to see a young bobcat looking into the window. He wore an athletic pair of shorts, a fitted athletic t-shirt, which clung to his body and showed off the lines and the muscles underneath. It was subtle, but it was clear he wore it to show off a little. I smiled and got out of the truck. Yeah, Nick? I offered my hand, which got Nick staring at it before pulling me into a nice tight hug. I tensed up, but slowly relaxed. Where I came from, you did not hug other guys so openly. I was worried someone would see. You made it. You got out of the country okay? You tired? How are you feeling? You should come in. Bobcat was shooting out words like a machine gun, a furball of energy with a bounce in his steps. His eyes twinkling like a pair of bright stars, the boy led me to an old building and up the stairs. Sorry I was a little late. I wanted to get a latte before you got here, and then I got caught in a conversation with someone. <laughs> I laughed with a shrug as we kept going up and up. You always miss my messages online, you know. Seems to be a thing with you Boston fellas. We definitely work by our own time, Ringbutt. That was his nickname for me. We met in a chat group for people who 
weren't sure exactly what being gay really meant, but he seemed further along than I was. He was confident and proud, and I wished I could be as open as he was. I was still wearing baggy clothing over myself, worried that showing off would get unwanted attention. Bobcat opened the door to his small apartment, and we stepped in. Welcome to home, my host said, spreading his arms wide. You can stay as long as you want. You said you were just passing through, but I hope you stay a while. I could show you around. The apartment had just one bedroom and a tiny front room. The kitchen's so small I thought my Aunt Emma would have died in frustration had she needed to use it. The whole place was clean, but also lived in. You could see a few dirty cups here and there. Some books not so nicely arranged, dust on the shelf. Signs that Nick took care of the place but wasn't going overboard on the cleaning. Thanks, I said as I put my backpack down. I I'd like that. I, I have some money if you want me to chip in. Nick vehemently shook his head. Don't mention it. I got my scholarship. You're fine as long as you don't try to break my hospitality, you know? He patted me jovially on the back. Opened the fridge, the bobcat got me a cold bottle of water. Those first few hours were so awkward. Nick and I didn't know how to talk to one another. We were happy to see each other, sure, but we were embarrassed, too. We played it up and hit it by making jokes and acting like we were old friends, but in actuality, we didn't know all that much about each other. But we tried. It wasn't until after we opened up a few cans of cold beer did we finally, finally start to relax. By then, the sun had set. The streetlights turned on. When I say that things felt weird, I mean it. Even the game of Halo couldn't really get us to relax. Looking back, I can guess why. Neither of us knew if this meeting would lead to sex. Neither of us really knew how to take the lead, and neither of us was sure what we wanted. If we'd just talked about the awkward bits, things wouldn't have taken so long to finally get moving, but that's hindsight for you. Twenty-twenty. We listened to soft music as we got more and more drunk, or at least more and more relaxed. I was being careful to not get too plastered, since I tended to fall asleep if I had too much alcohol in my system. I gathered enough courage to ask the question that had been burning on my mind since I left Cooper. So, Nick, you had any luck figuring out this gay stuff? Nick shrugged and sipped his beer. Not really, no. That surprised me. Well, what's going on? I, maybe I can help. Think of it like posting online. It's pretty boring. Hey, you're helping me out by letting me crash here. Least I can do is be a shoulder. No judgment. That earned me a smile from the bobcat. He reached up and ran his hand through one of his cheek rusts and exhaled slowly. Well, the thing is, I'm into older men. By that, I mean I really like men who are old enough to be my dad. My dad, he ran out on me and my mom, so I never really had someone masculine in my life. That's why I like them, I think. I like being held and told I'm a good guy. It made me realize I was missing something in my life. I nodded, and Paul was always in my life, and while 
He was a quiet man. He'd always been the pinnacle of masculinity in my little world. He taught me how to hunt and fix cars. We weren't close at all, but he taught me what I believed at the time was to be a man. But I don't know. I came to an art school here in Boston because it's more open than my hometown, but I'm still scared. I keep thinking, what if people make fun of me? What if I'm wrong about liking men? It's really confusing, Bo. Let me ask you this. I turned to face him, my beer almost empty now. When you, you know, I moved my hand up and down in a pumping motion. Do you think about men, women, both? Nick blushed and looked down at his hands. His ears folded back against his head, swallowed hard, and quietly answered, Men? Doesn't that clear it up? No, it's different. He took a deep sigh. There's this guy I met on a gay dating app, the one that the guys on the message boards are always using. He's a raccoon like you. He was older than I expected. He's a professor of engineering and can talk forever about science and the world. It's humbling, and I love it because it's like he has the whole world figured out. I tell him about some of the stuff going on, and he has a story or an experience he shares with me, and it's... It's nice to know I'm not the first to walk that path. I nodded. My beer was finished, and I felt tense, excited. We were on to something for Nick. I could feel it. This was also the longest verbal conversation I'd ever had about being gay. It felt dangerous and alive, and I loved that. But I get these weird thoughts, like, what does he see in a kid like me? What will happen if we get together in a relationship what about if he dies? He isn't ancient or even old, but he'll likely die before me. Whoa, I held up my hand. You're getting a little ahead of yourself, aren't you? You said you weren't even dating, and now you're imagining a life after his funeral. Calm down. I don't know, Bo, I'm scared. And Nick's face said it all. He'd been holding that in for so long, and I knew that fear all... The worries about being out about yourself. It was true and very real. So I flashed the warmest smile I could muster at my feline friend. I'd like to meet him, if at all possible. But I also know that you miss every swing you don't take. Nothing commits you to anything, but if you don't try, you'll never know and maybe even regret it. My time in Boston started on an awkward friendship between two boys who didn't even know if they were really gay. But after that night, things changed for the both of us in slow but remarkable ways. A couple days later, Nick introduced me to Professor Bensley, a raccoon with gray and ring tails, a bit of a heavy set body, and a jolly laugh that made you want to laugh with him. As my bobcat friend said, he had a story to tell about everything. He was a fan of history, told us all about Victorian England. Supposedly there'd been a menace plaguing London going by the name of Jack. I wanted to know more, but Nick fell asleep, much to our laughter. And I stayed in Boston for a year. I had, officially, become Nick's roommate, and I paid my rent. A decent amount saved up for my life and not really needing to spend it, and I got a job downtown bookstore. I was never overwhelmed with cash, but I had enough to survive. When I look back on that year in Boston, I remember feeling 
so alive and so adult that I could really be this way and everything would be fine. Nick and I explored each other at first. Nick was my first kiss with a boy, and I saw stars when our lips touched. Oh, it evolved from there, of course. I lost my virginity to him. On a stormy night, it was awkward and funny. Ligs and limbs everywhere, but we laughed and had fun. I was worried at the time that I would have fallen for Nick when we had sex, but nothing more than a warm friendship ever developed. Besides, his heart belonged to someone else I would soon come to realize. Professor Bensley and Nick started to date by the time I realized I needed to leave Boston. Everything was fine, of course, but Nick wanted to move in with the professor, and I felt too comfortable here in Boston. I knew I was gay, I knew I liked men, but I didn't know much about what it meant to be gay, including the goods and the bads. I wanted to meet and talk to more people who had different experiences from my own. While I could have lived in Boston for the rest of my life, I've been, been happy. I was still searching for something, and I knew it wasn't there. So I packed up everything once more in my truck and set out on the road. My friends stayed in touch after I left. Three years later, I found out they got serious enough to get married. Nick was nervous, of course, but when I saw them again at their wedding, I knew they were still in love, and they would likely remain that way for a long, long time. And Nick asked me to dance on the night of the wedding reception, during which a couple of guests who I'd never met before asked if I was Bensley's son, which got an awkward chuckle out of all three of us. He leaned in and whispered something into my ear. Something I'll never forget and I want written down on these pages. Thanks for helping me take the swing. I had no idea where I was going for a while. That was part of the adventure. I went around the United States working odd jobs here and there. My down-to-earth country boy side did me wonders when I had to rely on the kindness of strangers to get me work or show me where a boy like myself could sleep on a dime. I didn't meet many gay men in that period of my life, though honestly I was enjoying the trips and the sights and the people to really focus too much on finding another gay man. That was until Arizona. I bumped into Claude. Claude was someone I spoke to online when I was a kid, but we had grown distant. In my last year chatting with him regularly, Coyote had said he was having family problems and then stopped coming online as much. We still kept in touch, though, usually an email every few months, but nothing specific about either of our lives. Chatted about things we liked, games and guys. Truth be told, I knew he was out this way, Flagstaff to be specific, but I didn't expect to actually find him. I wasn't going to impose on him either, since I didn't know his life situation like I had Nick's, and I was honestly just treating Arizona as a rest stop on my way to California. When I bumped into the coyote at the diner, you had to believe we did that thing you see on TV. The stare, and the look up and down, and then the happy embrace. We had exchanged many pictures over the years, yes, even those kinds of pictures. So I knew him by looks alone. The sandy-colored fur, ears tipped with light milk chocolate highlights, brighter wheat-colored highlights on his face and under his eyes going down the length of his neck. He was handsome and fit. He was wearing a black fitted muscle shirt that held his upper body like it had been airbrushed on. Over his left pectoral was a logo for a mechanic shop, and he had an oily rag hanging out of his back pocket. 
When I had met Nick for the first time, there was that awkwardness between us, but the same didn't happen with Claude. The coyote was always warm, friendly, and cheerful. He had his arm around me and led me to the circular booth in the back of the diner. Dude, I can't believe you're here, Claude said once we had sat down in the booth, flashing one of his famous coyote grins. You should have said something. Ah, uh, I rubbed the back of my head, embarrassed. I didn't want to impose or nothing, you know. Plus, we don't talk as much these days, and I didn't know what was what. Claude reached over, grabbed me by the neck and pulling me in closer, looking me right in the eyes. Bo, you've seen me naked. I think you can ask if you can visit. I laughed and shrugged. You got a couch to surf on? You think I was going to let you stay at the hotel? No way, you're bunking with me. How long are you here for? Not sure. Don't want to impose too long. And like that, Claude and I picked up right where we left off. Claude filled me in on why he went MIA for a while. Folks, didn't take too well to me coming out. They were like, okay at first, but things kept building and building, you know. But I stuck around for a bit, tolerating it, thinking it was just them coming to grips with what had changed, though really nothing changed. It got worse, actually. Every problem in the house is my fault. It was my fault when Mom wouldn't have grandkids. It was my fault we couldn't go to family gatherings. It was my fault for global warming. I swear they found things to blame me for, like not mowing the lawn. It was snowing. Can you believe that? I think my dad just wanted to scream at me for being gay. So eventually I had to say goodbye to him. It hurt, honestly. I mean, they're my parents. I know they loved me in some twisted, awful way. They probably thought they were helping, but nothing I said worked. Nothing I did was fine. I found my mom snooping on my computer one morning, and that was it. I left just my car, my wallet, and some clothes in a backpack and left, ended up here in Flagstaff. It was hell, man. I'm sorry, I didn't keep in touch more back then, but I was so depressed and going through so much. They tried following me, stalking me on social media, so I went dark. I didn't have the energy, and I didn't want to talk about it, so I kind of stopped talking to a lot of people, including you. I found myself frowning. Claude, you don't have to apologize. That sounds rough. I can't imagine. Hey! Claude interrupted my sympathy speech and perked his ears up. You want to meet my boyfriends? My mouth hung open. A boyfriend? Claude was in a polyamorous relationship. The three of them, he and his two boyfriends to be specific, shared a house tucked between some really tall green trees and rocks. The house is old but looked well maintained. The coyote gleefully led me inside, cupped his hands over his muzzle, and yelled, Guys, I'm home! Come here! There was a sound of heavy feet falling as two men came rushing to the front door, one rubbing an eye like he'd just woken up from a nap, and the other dressed handsomely in a nice pair of jeans and a polo shirt. Bo, let me introduce you to my boyfriends, Jason and Miles. Jay, my, this is my old internet friend, Bo. You know, the raccoon who was an ace in Ringmaster's RX. Two were around my age. The sleeping one was a black panther wearing a tank top and a pair of sky blue briefs. Once he stopped yawning and looked at me, I could see he had a pair of the most 
handsome violet eyes. Hi, I'm Miles. Claude talks about you when he's missing his old gaming days. The other boyfriend, Jason, was a white wolf. He was fit but lean like a muscular swimmer. He dyed his fur tips red on his head and his ears so it looked like he was being bathed in red light all the time. He smiled and pulled me into a hug. Jason's a hugger, Claude said with a laugh. I can tell, I pretended to wheeze. This was my first encounter with a poly relationship. I was incredibly curious, but also wary about hicking through their lives and asking weird questions. So for the first week living with them, I mostly just watched. The trio had a special dynamic. It was interesting to see how they equally cared about and focused on each other, sometimes. And they seemed to be where they needed private time just as much as group time. It wasn't until one morning, I was making some eggs in the kitchen, the other three sat at the dining room table that Claude chuckled with a piece of toast in his muzzle. You're being too polite, Bo. About what? Jason giggled a little as he poured himself some orange juice. I can't believe he's lasted this long. I dropped the finished eggs on four separate plates, brought them to the table, and looked at the two with an innocent tilt in my head. I don't know what you're talking about. You watch us like you're studying us, the white wolf said, reaching for his plate. Yet you don't ask any questions. I get the respect, but we're friends here. And thus, the floodgates were open. Okay, so how does it work? I asked as soon as I sat down at the table. You mean the three of us? You mean the three of us? Claude answered. We just love each other, and we're aware of each other. I care for them equally. They care for me, too. We don't branch off. We really need each other. We all fill a gap that none of us could really fill before. Were you guys dating and then invited a third, or? It was Miles's turn to shake his head. We were friends. Local gay bar downtown. We got close, became roommates eventually, and found that we all just clicked. I wanted more from both of them. It turned out they wanted the same. We talked about it one night. After sex? Jason. Miles growled his interrupter and shook his head. Yes, after sex. We decided to give it a shot. Going on three years now. And your feelings never get hurt? Sure they do, Jason added. But that happens in regular relationships, too. If you mean whether we get jealous of one another, if I see Miles and Claude go off and be romantic, then nope. I'm comfortable with our relationship, how we are to one another. I know they aren't trying to push me out. They just want to enjoy each other. They pair off from time to time, and it lets the third person get some alone time. It's not that often. We really like being together. What do you tell people in town? Roommates, Claude said with his trademark coyote grin. Most people around here are fine that we're gay, but the poly stuff can weird them out, so we just keep our lives private. If someone gets close to us, they generally figure it out. I'm sure the town knows already. But how do you maintain it? Isn't it hard? All relationships are hard, silly, Jason laughed. The key is the corny thing you probably already know, communication. 
and talk about anything that may be bothering us about the whole thing and we work it out. Usually those issues are just misunderstandings or someone needing more attention. We also don't judge. You judged me when I wore that yellow shirt to the club two months ago. Someone had to, Claude said, but you still look good in it. Flagstaff offered me a huge learning experience. The three-way lovers, or thruple, as they were actually called, told me to be open about my questions. I did, and they answered honestly. I learned during the trip that love is not a one-to-one ratio, but can be split in many directions. And with a lot of work and dedication, you can maintain those bonds. Even if society tells you to fuck off because you're different. This was the first of two parts of Vagabond by Tiberius Rings and Fruits. Read for you by Rob McWolf, Werewolf Hitchhiker. Tune in next time to find out how Bo learns that not every scar is on the surface. As always, you can find more stories on the web at thevoice.dog or find the show wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Pride, and thank you for listening to The Voice of Dog. <laughs>